Good morning. We're going to be reading from the book of Isaiah today, so if you want to go ahead and turn to the book of Isaiah, I'll meet you in chapter 58, Isaiah 58. Father's Day. I've always enjoyed when my kids were little, wrestling with them. Uh, I read somewhere it's supposed to be healthy to help them bond, and it's a lot of fun. My kids always loved it. Um, these days, I'm teaching my youngest, Asa, the intricacies of professional wrestling, and my wife just bought a new bed, and it's got long legs, so it's up a little higher, so it's perfect for professional wrestling, so I can get him up in the body slam, bam, get him in the pile driver, smack, super suplex up here, bam. He's got a signature move. His signature move is to climb up on the top ropes and to jump on top of me and to land on me like Superfly, except we don't have ropes. We have a headrest, so he climbs up on the headrest. Uh, the other day, we were into it, and I decided I would do the ultimate smackdown in wrestling, which is to steal the other guy's move, right? So we were wrestling, and I slammed him down, and I said, this time I'm going to jump on him. But the headrest doesn't hold me. <laughs> so I look around in a pinch, about five or six feet away, we have a dresser. Because I wanted to bond in him in the most intimate way, I head up and I'm on the dresser. <laughs> now, our ceilings are eight foot. I'm about six foot. So when I climb up on the dresser, <laughs> the ceiling is here. And without thinking, I just launch myself, 200 pounds and all, onto Asa, who's on the bed. Flying through the air, it felt like a good idea, but when I landed, I hear this crunch. Now, have no fear. Asa has been trained in the specialties of fake wrestling, so he was unscathed. But the bed, the bed is now on what might be a permanent tilt. <laughs> One of the legs just went snap. And such is my experience in fathering. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that real fathers look at me the way vampires look at Count Chocula. It's a long list of fails. Um, Andrew Peach is a writer. He's at Prince, uh, Providence College. Let me know if I can do anything about the feedback. I'll keep talking, and I'll follow your lead. But uh, the writer named Andrew Peach at Providence College, and when uh, he writes about the experience of new fathers, he's much more articulate than I am. Listen to what he says about the experience of new fathers. He writes, all around the new father, everything is challenging. Without any signs of ever reverting back to the way they used to be, 
into the indefinite future, nearly every hour of his days threatens to be filled with activities that as a single person or even a childless husband, he would never have chosen. Due to the continual interruptions of sleep, he's always mildly fatigued. Due to the long-term financial concerns, he's cautious in spending, forsaking old consumer habits and personal indulgences. He finds his wife equally exhausted and preoccupied with the children. Connections with former friends start to slip away. Traveling with his children is like traveling third class in Bulgaria. Little shade there on our Bulgarian friend. That the changes go on and on. Fatherhood is just not what he bargained for. What's the point? Fatherhood is hard. We celebrate it today, but it is hard. And for that reason, today I have four phrases for fathers. Four phrases for fathers from the book of Isaiah. All right, now I realize there's a danger here. Most of you aren't fathers, so I pray you won't tune me out because just about everything I say will also apply to you. But it's especially aimed at fathers. So let's get started. Isaiah 58. Here's the context. As it often is in the Old Testament, God's people have rebelled against God. So at this moment in Isaiah 58, They've been removed from the Holy Land into Babylon due to their own unfaithfulness. They're exiles. Things are tough. They've lost their dignity. They've lost their identity. So they turn to God. But when they turn to God, they do it in a half-hearted way. All right, That's the story we're jumping into here in Isaiah 58. We're going to begin in verse 2. My first encouragement here to fathers is going to be as your fathering radiate justice all right as your fathering radiate justice let's read together this section of the poem from Isaiah 58:2 where we read they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and they did not forsake the judgment of their god this is god speaking here so we see God, people turning to him daily. That's pretty good. That's the good part. But there's a catch. They did so as if they were a nation that did righteousness. They did not. And as if they did not forsake the judgment of God. They did forsake his justice. You see the problem there. God makes it clear here that a true heart for him results in ordering society in the right way, in loving others as beacons of God's righteous nature. But God's people, they forsake. They've forsaken all of this, and yet they still had the moxie to fast before God as if they could push his blessing buttons, right? They were treating God as if he were a golden retriever. And they have the treat I show it to you, I make the hand signal, I throw the stick, you go fetch it, I give you the treat. That's how it works. That's how they're treating God here. I fast, God makes everything better. Listen to their words, verse 3. Oh God, why, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? 
God says, well, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure as opposed to enjoying God, which is what fasting's about. They're seeking their own pleasure, and you oppress all your workers. And behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Notice that God is not bashing fasting. It's just a type of fast that he does not accept. Religious forms that are devoid of a heart for justice ring hollow. But look what God does delight in. And this is what I really want to hold out for you fathers here in this first point. What God does delight in is something we can strive for. Verse 6 Is not this the fast that I choose? So here it is. This is the kind of fasting that I like. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own people, your own flesh. The people brought God empty structures when he wanted caring hearts in action. And you see this pattern all over the Bible. We could go to many verses, but I decided to start here in Isaiah. Now, what do we have for fathers here in these verses? Well, dads, God has charged you to care for the vulnerable. God has charged you to care for the vulnerable. So we try to radiate justice. How do we do that? Well, this shoots in a couple of different directions. First, outside the home. Think about outside your home. Dad, be the type of man whose kids see them helping the oppressed. Keith Green was a musician, a Christian musician back in the 70s. He had a troubled teen life. He was into drugs, and then he got converted in a phenomenal way. And he was the guy in his 20s, he and his wife, who got the job before all of his friends, right? So they actually had an income and they had a house and they started having kids and they decided what we're going to do is invite everyone into our home who is poor, who's trying to kick drugs or just going through a hard time. So he's there living in California in the 70s. Things were different there, but he would just invite people to come and live in his place. All of his friends called it the greenhouse because instead of plants growing there, people would grow there. He was seeking justice outside. Now, the Spirit might not move you to have that same structure, but we should all have the same heart. Find your own niche to show justice in your sphere. John Perkins writes this about pursuing justice in our community. John Perkins writes, Christian love disposes a person to be public-spirited. A man of a right spirit is not a man of narrow and private views, but he's greatly concerned for the good of the community to which he belongs, and particularly of the city where he resides. Dads, this posture could impact your kids more than anything else you do. Model and radiate justice outside your home. Also, inside your home. Treat your vulnerable children justly. Treat your vulnerable children justly. Yes, some parenting failures are a form of injustice against your kids. 
Some dads need to hear this. You've got some good rules in place, some good structures in your home, but you're undermining this. You're undermining it with a persona of grumpy meanness to your kids. Catechism, scripture memory, structures, green boundaries, those are all really good things. But within these structures, are you working hard towards the fullness and happiness of your children? Are you meeting them where they're emotionally vulnerable and weak? Do they know that you, dad, have their back? Are you a trusted rock to them or a chaotic, unpredictable quicksand of a man? Ray Ortland puts this simply, what offends God is how we hurt one another in what we do and what we say, and this applies directly to fathers today. Some of you fathers need to hear this. All of us fathers need to hear verse 4. We must be sobered by what God says in verse 4, where he rebuked the men of Israel who were prone to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Sadly, the CDC today estimates that one in seven children have experienced abuse or neglect in the home in the U.S. And that's an underestimate because a lot of this does not get reported. God decries all forms of abuse, but especially, especially child abuse. As fathers, we must guard against this and stand against this. We must radiate justice. And dads, especially for those of you who are weary, I want you to note the result of pursuing justice. God gives you a promise here, dads. It's in verse 8. I asked a question a minute ago. Dads, do you have your kids back? You might answer, yeah, I do, but I feel beat down. Who's got my back? Dads feel like that sometimes. Verse 8 is for you. It's a promise. It says, if you strive for justice, verse 8, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. And get this, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Dad, if you pursue justice, God has your back. He is your rear guard. The sweet picture. And it gets even better. Keep reading. Then shall you call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry. Oh, fathers, cry out. And God will say, here I am. There's your end game. Nothing short of God's own presence for the fathers who pursue justice. Presence real and felt near and dear. Dads, this Father's Day I encourage you to radiate justice and you bask in the presence of Jesus Christ. Second phrase for fathers here. Now, if you're a father and you were tracking me through that first point, you may have had one of two reactions. Reaction one is the father who says, you know what? You're right, preacher. I don't seek justice as I should. I'm often just treading water. I feel like I'm just trying to keep my head above water at work. 
and I'm trying to care for my own parents. I'm trying to love my wife. When it comes to justice, I know I'm a failure. I'm just a loser. So I'd rather not think about this anymore. That is the language of self-condemnation. Others react in a different way. They're told to radiate justice, and they say, you're right, man. Some guys do let injustice run rampant in their homes, but not me. I've never raised a hand against my children. Of all the people in my Facebook group, I'm pretty sure I support my kids better than any of the other dads. I don't want to think about this anymore. That is the song of self-righteousness. But I really want to encourage a third reaction. When someone says to you, pursue justice. I want to encourage a third reaction here. And it's the one we see in the text. So my second encouragement to fathers is to regularly confess. Regularly confess. You see this starting in uh, verse 12. Now you've got to go to um, Isaiah 59 now. So turn the page or look over. Skipping a long poem, but Isaiah 59, verse 12, says this. Listen to the people now. They've changed their tone. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, God. It used to be, why aren't you accepting my fast, God? But now it is, oh, our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Transgressing, denying the Lord, turning from following our God, speaking oppression, revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart, lying words. Behold, the third reaction to hearing God's call for justice is the way of confession. The way of confession. Isaiah the prophet is owning up to his own sin and the sin of his people. He's taking the blame for his own mess. Now note two components here of the the confession. First, the confession addresses God. He says, our transgressions are multiplied before you, God. Our transgressions are before you. Isaiah uses words like iniquities and sins and phrases like denying the Lord, turning back from following our God. Unkindnesses, injustices towards other is an offense towards God's holiness. So our confession is to foundationally Be God-oriented. Second, confession is specific. This is not just a matter of, hey God, you know, I guess I can do better. True confession names names. Look at verse 13. I confess specifically, speaking oppression, I confess revolt, I conceived of my own lies. Nobody tricked me. I was not manipulated or victimized to do injustice. This darkness birthed from me. I uttered the lies. True confession is brutally specific. If we have injustices, we need to confess them. True story this week, I asked my kids, I said, you know a funny illustration of me messing up that I could tell at the first of the sermon? Ended up going with the super jump. (laughs) But the first thing that they came up with were not goofy mess-ups. They were the times 
when I issue discipline on one where the other one should have been disciplined, right? The first things in their minds that came to their heads, well, there was this time when I was innocent and I got punished, but he was the guilty one exposing my own injustices as a father and I need to confess specifically to these things. How does this help fathers? Well, just a few words. I'm not preaching from personal victory here, preaching from weakness. I need to grow in this. I yearn to grow here. But dad, let's make confession a habit. Let's make confession a habit. I don't know about you, but I was raised to have a quiet time. I wish I would have been raised to have a noisy time, a time where I sat before God with my Bible open and I just confessed to him my sin. You could tag this to something that you're doing already in the morning. You're going to eat breakfast? Make that the time that you confess to God. You're going to work out? Make that a time of contrition. Taking a shower every morning? Confess to God in the shower. At my house, I walk by the laundry when I get up. And I do some laundry every morning, and it's nice. It's like cleansing. It's a metaphor, and I, I confess. Next, you can own all of what's yours in the mess-ups in your house. This is aimed at those of you who tend towards self-righteousness. Someone wise once said, if the problem is only 1% yours, you need to own 100% of that 1%, right? Problems in the house... Sins, conflicts are all very complex, but you need to own every bit of the part that is yours. Years ago, we were at TCC, and we were at a fellowship, and we used to have these fellowships where we would play wiffle ball and tennis ball, and I remember I was playing, I was pitching, Melanie Moore was batting, one of my kids was on base, and I threw the ball, and Melanie just smacks it, she's a good, she's a good hitter. And she hits it long, and my kids take off running. One of my kids who was on base took off running, but somebody in the outfield snags it, right? So if you don't know baseball, you can't run if somebody snags it unless you tag up first. So my kids just saw a long hit, and they took off, and he was running. So they threw the ball, tagged my kid out, and it's a double play. Now, as pitcher, I'm looking at my son running, and I'm like, why did you run? You shouldn't run on a fly ball. And then, in a true Yoda moment, one of the church members steps forward and says, now wait a minute, who is the greater fault here? Is it the one who did not follow the rule or the one who failed to teach the rule? And I was, I was like, that's a true story. <laughs> and it was good. I had to own the part that was mine and... Since then, 10,000 times with things much more serious, I've had to confess before God. Then you confess to your wife. Then you confess to your children. And again, I'm not the model here. I'm trying to grow with you, brother. But this is what God wants. And I want to say, if you are prone towards self-condemnation. You don't want to confess because then you start condemning yourself every time you confess. Confession isn't crushing. Confession is not 
crushing. We see it in the Bible. It's freeing. Proverbs 18.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John 1.9 tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession leads towards restoration. And that leads me to my next point. Now I think some of the fellows may be out here thinking, hey, I thought you were going to encourage me today on Father's Day. So far you've given me heavy lifting. What's going on? Well, I get it. That's fair. But there is a buildup here in the text, okay? In Isaiah 59, it is only after confession that we see God respond in a positive way towards his people. And dads, I want to say from Isaiah 59 that God responds with rescue. You need to receive rescue as a father. That's my third encouragement. Receive rescue. Now look with me at the last half of Isaiah 59. Verse 15, the last half of 15. This is how God is going to respond. First off, it doesn't look too great. Look what he says. The Lord saw it, 59, 15, the last half. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Now dads, ugh, let this next verse Sink in verse 16. God saw that there was no man. God looked out on all the warriors, the priests, the fathers in Israel, and he says, Not one of y'all is living for justice. All y'all guilty. None of y'all have manned up against the unrighteousness that's prevalent in your society. And it's also heartbreaking. God does not take it lightly. But neither does God give up on his people. Neither does God give up on his people. Look what he says in verse 16. God wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then, this is where it turned, then his own arm brought him salvation. His righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is the Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ in rescue mode. He has come to rescue his people. The Messiah. Notice some things about his rescue. First, Jesus intercedes. He knows things are in shambles and he intervenes on behalf of his people. Think about when Jesus sought out the tax collector Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, here's why I've come. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Only Jesus can pull off the saving rescue. Why? Look in verse 16 again. Isaiah declares that God took his own arm and brought salvation. Jesus is the Son, the second person of the triune God. 
at Christmas, God sends himself. He sends his own arm to save his people. I read about a dad named Scott Shoemaker, and he had his first son, and he didn't mind diaper duty, and he was happy to carry around the diaper bag, and he did it for seven or eight months, but he got a little annoyed at one thing. It wasn't the doing of diapers, it was he didn't like the look of this somewhat dainty bag that he was carrying around. And so he thought, well, maybe other guys might not like it too. So he got online and he didn't see a market for what he would call dude bags. So he started his own business with Americana themes and other themes he thought guys would like. And his business took off. It's an example of someone seeing a problem and he jumps right in and he solves it. So too does our God. Don't forget what the apostle wrote in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When there was no man, God sent the man to rescue. And back in Isaiah 59, note how Christ comes. Christ comes as a rescuing warrior. Where God's people fail to fight for justice, Jesus succeeds. In his death, Christ secures the defeat of all evil. We read this in Colossians 2.15. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. One writer writes here, because of Christ's finished work, we live in anticipation of the day when all swords and spears will become garden tools. Nations won't fight each other, but they'll dance with each other and serve one another. Talk more about this coming day in a moment, but here, dads, fathers, let's hope in this fact. This warrior king has come to rescue you. If you, fail, if you feel full of self-condemnation because of your fathering failures, Jesus has come to rescue you. The Spirit's call to all of us today is to turn to Jesus in faith and repentance and be rescued. He'll do the work. Receive His rescue. Enjoy Him forever. Now, especially for fathers, here are a few things to remember about Christ's rescue first. He does really forgive you. Rescue can include a lot of things in the Bible. But you must never forget that God declares you are forgiven of your fatherhood's sins. You're forgiven. Lazy discipleship of your kids. He forgives you. Failure to address Children in a loving way and during discipline, you're forgiven. The emotional distance that you created with your teenagers, Christ forgives this. You must know if you have turned to Christ, then you stand forgiven. God's not holding a laundry list of your failures over your head. Even if your kids are, God is not if you are hidden in Christ. 
It's not as if your sins aren't real. They're very real. Your failures are serious. So serious that God sent himself, his own arm, to take your place as substitute in judgment on the cross. His death is now your death. His resurrection is yours too. You can live life forgiven. Now, if I could gently sidestep for a moment away from fathers and just speak directly to all of you who have an imperfect earthly father. I'm trying not to preach this sermon out of naivety today. I know all too well Many of you have fathers who were distant, neglectful, abusive. To you, I just want to hold out this anointed, rescuing warrior from Isaiah. He's here for you. He succeeds at every point where your father failed. If your father manipulated and schemed, Jesus is truth. Your father was absent. Jesus is present even with you now if you have the Spirit of God inside of you. He does not abandon you. Instead of rising up in abuse, Jesus lays down in sacrifice. You can find peace. I know your hurt's real. I know your hurt is deep. But I hold before you the Jesus, who stood with Mary Magdalene, remember her? She had not one, but seven demons oppressing her. She knew real hurt, demonic hurt and pain. Jesus stood with her to know her, to restore her, and to save her. This is the Jesus I hold out for all who had imperfect fathers. Back to dads. I said, dads, remember you're forgiven in Christ, but there's also another beautiful, rich scene within this text. Dads, you're not just forgiven, you're redeemed. Look back to verse 20. In God's sweet providence, verse 20 was actually quoted last week by Paul in Romans 11. Here we see it in context. A redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob. That's you. Who turn from transgression. A redeemer will come. The Old Testament concept of redeemer. Simple. It's the member of your family who bails you out. So in the Old Testament, if you got in debt, your creditor could actually enslave you. And then someone who would come from your relatives would actually pay money and buy you back into the right, correct, true family. You know, many of the popular movies today deal with a theme of a broken family. There's a Michael Bay film that was released this week, uh, this year, called Ambulance. And if you've seen it, you'll know that the main character struggles at the beginning because he has a diseased son. And so he goes on an adventure. He goes on a quest to help his son. And it's one of those car chase movies. And uh, right in the middle of it, it's hilarious. I watched it. And this guy is dodging cars, going 100 miles per hour. Things are blowing up. And he takes a call on his phone. And he does FaceTime with his wife and his little baby daughter. So he's driving. 
people are shooting. He's got a gun in one hand. It's insane. But you get the picture that all this guy wants is a restored family. Hear this, dads. In Christ, you have been restored. From a floundering, failed father to a cherished, protected child. That's your restoration. Author David Powelson wrote this about leaning into your identity, dad, as a child of God in order to become a better, more mature parent. Right? It's a long quote. Try to stay with me, but it's good. Powelson writes this. All right, dads. God is our father. He adopts us in Christ, and by the power of the Spirit, he gives us a childlike heart. We need parenting every day. We dads need parenting. We need tender care, patient instruction, constructive discipline. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I am God's child. Our culture and the hearts might claim that masculinity means being independent, self-confident, proud, strong, assertive, decisive, tough-minded, opinionated, and unemotional. But Jesus is the true man. And he is unafraid of weakness, lowliness, submission. He came as helpless and endangered child. He became dependent, poor, afflicted, homeless. He submitted an obedient servant entrusted with a job to do. He became a mere man and he died in pain, committing his spirit into God's hands. Depending by faith on the power of the spirit to raise him. Weakness is what leads to strength. Serving leads to mastery. Death leads to resurrection. It never works the other way around. When your core identity is meek and lowly like Jesus, then your calling develops into this image of Christ of a purposeful, wise, courageous love. Dads, this is when you grow as a father. And you take the image of Jesus. Hang on to it. So I encourage you, dads, radiate justice Regularly confess. Chiefly receive your rescue in Christ. And I have one more. Look now. One chapter over. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. For when the messianic servant. The warrior. When he comes in Isaiah. Everything changes. The future is now not so bleak. Dad, you got to hear this. My final phrase for Father is rest forward. Rest forward. R.C. Sproul said it like this. You need to take busy rest. Look in verse 1, Isaiah 60. The prophet says, Now, dads, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Verse 4, lift up your eyes all around and see. They're all gathering together. They came to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. 
the wealth of the nations shall come to you. The prophet gives us a picture of God's people as a city. And all the nations are flocking to God's people. At the end of time, God gives himself as the divine light to this city. The justice that was once lacking is now irradiant in the people of God, in the new heavens and the new earth. This is a new creation picture. One writer wrote, this is nothing short of a worldwide ingathering, a homeward march in which distance is no barrier, frailty is no hindrance. This is the new creation hope that the Old Testament points us to. All God's people must hold on to this. Skip down to verse 20. More new creation hope. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and in its time I will hasten it. Fathers, the promises here for you. God will plant you in a garden that will always grow. That's your future hope. That's your inheritance in Jesus Christ. And he ends the section with family talk. Did you see it? He said, even the smallest family will be enlarged to a giant clan. In other words, God is designing the entire new creation to serve the needs of his glorified family. All right, I already said, you're in the family of God. You're God's child. So now you need to hope that God is designing all of the new creation to fit the needs of his family. Dads, I know you feel like me. Sometimes you feel that everything is working against you. We had these storms this week, yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, I was, my project for the day was, guess what? Fixing a bed. So... <laughs> I'm on my knees down there trying to repair the bed, power tools in hand, not knowing what I'm doing, and the power goes out. <laughs> not only did I not know how to fix this anyway, now I have no power. It feels like everything is against you. That's going to be turned on its head in the new creation. God has designed all of it to fit the needs of his children of which you are one, Dad. Don't forget that glorious hope. John Piper writes here, the point is that the new heavens and the new earth are the inheritance of the children of God. The universe is not important in itself. It gets its importance by God fitting his children with the glory of his son and then looking at this creation and saying, I want you to be this way for my family. And then it happens. The inheritance of the children is what matters here. The designs of God are for a universe for his children. And dad, don't miss this. Don't miss how to make this work. God is pushing you through this text to breathe in the future, but do it now. When I was younger, 
I suffered a freak physical thing where I had a collapsed lung. Wasn't doing anything. I was walking out of the Wendy's, and my lung just deflated. So uh, tremendous pain, and call the ambulance. And I remember when that was happening, I had all these questions going on in my mind. Like, is this a lung and a heart thing? Is this going to get worse? Am I going to pass out from this horrific pain? How am I going to pay for this ambulance ride? I had all of these stressors going on at once in my mind. And then the EMT was there, put me in the ambulance. He's cool with a cucumber and I'm sitting there stressing out. And then he takes down the oxygen mask and he's like, just take it. (laughs) And for a man with a collapsed lung, O2 is life. Just breathed it in. And it was cool. I was relieved. Guys, all that we do as dads in this world should have the clarifying, comforting hope of the world to come in view. That should be the oxygen that you breathe when the bed crashes. You breathe when she's sick again. You don't know how to deal with this. You breathe when he's throwing a tantrum. He's disrespecting you. He's disrespecting mom. Breathe in the oxygen of the coming new world. Peter says it differently, the same thing in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, what's he say? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a forward-thinking life hack that fathers must have about the coming kingdom. Sam Storm says it this way. This is a commanded obsession. Fixate fully. Rivet your soul on the grace that you will receive in Christ returns. Tolerate no distractions, Dad. Entertain no diversions. Don't let your mind be swayed. Devote every ounce of mental and spiritual and emotional energy to concentrating and contemplating on the grace that is yet to come. What grace is that? It's the grace of your heavenly inheritance in Jesus Christ. What kind of thing stress dads out, man? I'll be able to provide the best education for my kids. I don't know. How can I protect my family in this world? There's shootings. There's abusiveness. It's deadly. What kind of culture will my kids step into? Is his health condition going to get worse before it gets better? Is she going to hate me when she grows up? All of these type of thoughts consume fathers. But we must keep the long-term view in focus and rest forward, breathing in this oxygen of the coming of Jesus Christ. And of course, it's not just for dads. It is for all of you started this sermon with a quote from Andrew Peach, the writer. I think I did you a disservice because I didn't finish the quote. I'd like to finish it here. Because after reflecting on the challenges of fatherhood, this is what Peach says. Yet, through the exhaustion, the financial stress, the screaming, and the general chaos, there enters in at times mysteriously and unexpectedly, deep contentment and gratitude. 
It is not the pleasure or amusement of high school or college, but rather the honor and nobility of sacrifice and commitment like that felt by a soldier. What happens to his children now happens to him, his life. Though a world with the trivial concerns of children is more serious than it ever was before. Everything he does from bringing home a paycheck to painting a bedroom, it has a new end and hence a greater significance. The joys and sorrows of his children are now his joys and sorrows. The stakes of his life have risen and if he is faithful to his calling, he might come to find that against nearly all prior expectations, he never wants to return to the way things used to be. Dads, this Father's Day, I just want to encourage you as we go this week, radiate justice, regularly confess, receive rescue in Jesus Christ, and rest forward in the coming blessings of the new heaven and the new earth. They'll be here soon. Let's take hold of them this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all who you are in this text today. What kind of father are you? You're always near. What kind of father are you? You're delivering us. What kind of father are you? You never once let us down. You didn't misuse your authority. Instead, you came to serve and rescue in Jesus. So I pray all the dads and all the people here today would look forward and rest forward in their coming hope in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.